Hello and welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host as always Sarah Travers and throughout this series I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out crucially how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. So today I am delighted to be joined by Gronya Maher, owner of Gronya Maher Millinery. Uh, Gronya, welcome to the podcast studio. Thank you, sir. It's lovely, lovely to see you. Now, before we begin, as usual, I'm going to give a little bit of background into you and your company. So Gronya has been creating headwear for the past 14 years, really leading the way in terms of new materials and design. She has shown her work at London Fashion Week, the Irish Fashion Awards, and at a multitude of fashion shows over the years. Her most recent leather florals collection has combined a new technique with the finest metallic and Napa lambskin, Swarovski wirework, and eye-catching shapes to create a signature style unlike any other Milner's work in Northern Ireland. Now, working from her studio, Gráinne produces sophisticated pieces for weddings and racegoers using classic shapes, hand-dyed feathers and antique embellishments. She also experiments with avant-garde styling and modern materials to achieve these wonderful statement pieces that are definitely not for the faint-hearted. Gronya, I've worn a couple of your headpieces myself and I absolutely love them. Congratulations, first of all, on everything that you have done to date, everything you've achieved. How did it all start? Wow. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> Let's start with who you are. Where are you from? All um, of that. Right, okay. I'm born and bred in Belfast. and I'm um, 47 years of age, a mother of three. And I I actually studied music at university. I have a degree in music. Oh, my goodness. So I when I, when I was very young, that's all I ever wanted to do was be a composer, to be a singer, to play the piano. Um, I guess it's all very creative, isn't it? Totally um, creative, yeah. I was really uh, destined to work in the arts in some way, for sure. Um, so I studied at Queen's University just for a year and actually then uh, met my then husband to be Kieran, and we left Belfast and went to the southwest of England to a really exceptional college called Dartington College of Arts in Devon, which was a really kind of progressive, very um, left of centre art school that had a real history of um, unusual, extreme live art um, theory. You know, the, the staff there were just really guides and leaders in their field and so I you went together and oh he, yeah, yeah. We, we went together and we we ended up living there for nine years I think it was in total both um started PhDs which we didn't finish <laughs> but um it was just that hedonistic artistic wonderful life in the most beautiful places Devon was a very special gosh place it today. sounds really special I had no idea that yeah. that's uh, what you had done so um, yeah, very different to home yeah I mean at the end of the day I'm, I'm really a home bird so it's Belfast Belfast home. exactly Belfast was calling and uh, myself and Karen off we got married in 2000 we sort of came back to Belfast in t- 2002 I think it was and sort of pursued our various careers Okay, so at what point did you make the switch to 
leaving the music behind? I know you never leave music behind. It's probably no. always there. But <laughs> when did you think, I know what I'll try? Millinery. Well, yeah, I know. It was, a, it was a good few years, really. It was probably about 2008 before I started the millinery. Um, but just in that interim period, I did become a mother of, and had three kids in quite close succession. Busy? Uh, was busy, exactly. And that time gave me a lot of uh, reflective uh, time and a chance to reevaluate. I worked in radio for a while. I worked in PR with um, a good friend, Michelle McTiernan. And I just generally dabbled in sort of creative things. But I always knew I was utterly unemployable, <laughs> you get me? <laughs> so I wanted to be my own boss, mm-hmm. is what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So you looked at all the jobs that were out there and thought... I don't fit into any. Well, yeah, I just, yeah, I just like living life to my own beat of my own drum. drum, You know, Um, getting up when I want, uh, working into the wee small hours if I need to, being flexible with family and all of that kind of stuff. So all of those things um, add up to a very good uh, self-employed approach to life. I think. And how did that journey begin for you then? Well, I was always self-employed, even after college, as I say, working in radio and PR and everything. I was a self-employed sole trader registered with HMRC, to be technical about it. So <laughs> I never we checked that. Yeah, indeed, of course. <laughs> um, so uh, the jump to then setting up my own business was kind of based on a bit of a eureka moment, you know, when I, I literally had been sort of as a lay person studying fashion for years and, uh, you know, bought every magazine every month like it was a library of stuff in the house and I'd seen Philip Tracy hats basically yeah, I was going to in ask a magazine you, one day I think you? it was Tatler magazine and they were just so like awe-inspiring it was like how did that even stay on her head how does that you know float there it's as if by magic and quite architectural I was quite into architecture and stuff like that too and I just <laughs> thought to myself... Building it up on the head. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's there, a lot of, there are a lot of engineering <laughs> things mm. go, to, go on with certain um, hats, I promise you. So, yeah, so I, I took it upon myself, with the kids still being that young, to start training in millinery, doing a few short courses. I did some in London and in Dublin, and realised I had a real flair for it, I suppose. And also at that time, you know, you do your business research and see who else is doing this kind of mm-hmm. thing in the market and at that time there weren't too many um couture milliners in northern ireland there was one other lady that i know of and i thought well this is in magazines this is going to get more and more popular i'll give it a whirl i'll see how it goes and that's where the business started i suppose and uh, okay so if you realized you would probably be one of only two milliners working in northern ireland did that mean that people wanted to wear headwear or was that still something that you looked at the royals or you looked across the water or even down south to race goers? Had we anything going on here like that? There were, we're always a wee bit behind what's happening elsewhere. So if you think of what Philip Tracy and his likes were doing in the catwalks in London, Milan, New York, Paris, headwear has always appeared on catwalks. Of course. But it's about bringing it to... Joe Public as well, I suppose. So things were already happening in London where people were wearing more headwear. Isabella Blow, who was, um, you know, a real muse for Philip Tracy, she was very rarely seen with a naked head. <laughs> so when you've got somebody like that high profile in the in the sort of um, 
fashion publishing scene, constantly wearing headwear, and then the likes of Lady Gaga and all uh, Roisin Murphy and all these various pop stars that started to come out in the early noughties, you know, putting headwear in the sort of fantasy element of it as an aspirational thing for people to do, it filters down through fashion into the high street and also then into occasion wear, I guess. So we maybe took a year or two more to catch up over here. But we always liked a good hat. Yes. Oh, I mean, exactly. Churchgoers mm-hmm. and everything else. There, there would be a lot of ladies who've been wearing hats their whole lives. But this was different. Um, this was different. Um, not to say that I didn't welcome business from anybody who was a churchgoer and wanted a church hat. I mean, I would make, you know, lots of different types of hats. It's not always about pushing avant-garde boundaries for me. It's about getting the customer what they need um, in my own sort of signature style, I suppose. But we've definitely caught up now. Oh, I'd, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Northern Ireland, Ireland as a whole, UK, it's really, really a big thing. And I, I am far from one of two milliners yeah. now. There are lots and lots of fantastic milliners, many of whom are dear friends of mine. And we support each other. And, uh, you know, I am very, very much in favour of that, you know. But also, you've probably inspired them too. And I know that you do... You share your knowledge, you run workshops, yeah. so you're really you're really supportive of others, as you've just said. That's right. I actually, um, in 2019, started a thing called the Irish Millinery Collective, um, which was an idea that I'd had that, you know, to take, to elevate the milliners across Ar- the, the island of Ireland uh, that are really, you know, doing really special work, uh, trying to give them a lift. As opposed to, and not to diss anyone who is um, this, but, you know, the sort of craft brigade or someone who's doing it as a hobby, as a sideline. For those of us who are really taking this very seriously as a career, as their main source of income, as their creative project and, you know, like, it's the most important thing to them. I wanted to get us together under one roof and do some catwalk shows to do uh, some master classes with expert master milliners coming over from London uh, gallery showcases and things like that and um, I did very well I had a great show the first one was in the Merchant Hotel and we had Ian Bennett come over from London who is a fantastic um, master milliner and he taught us very very specific f- skills for people who are um, you know not beginners basically mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, COVID happened, so it's kind of been shelled for a year or two. But I very much intend to get that back up and running again. Hopefully, by the end of this year, we'll do the second one. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 uh, yeah, I'm sure business actually must have been hit very hard when you when you think of the of the cancellations there were for weddings and big events. But d- did you continue? What did you do during that time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I did the 
um, obligatory paint the house and do <laughs> the garden <laughs> things like that when you're literally locked at the time banana locked, bread locked, any banana yeah, well bread? I'm not so much of the banana bread type to be honest but um <laughs> but no it, yes it uh, it afforded me a lot of creative space to create new collections I did more work on my other label which is called Pluck and Devour which is like a laser cut jewelry label is how it started out yeah tell us about um, that well it, it I started doing that about 2011 um, so that would have been three or four years into starting the millinery business. And what I had started to notice is that in making hats is a seasonal job. I.e., you know, there's about eight months of the year where you're extremely busy with weddings and race days and stuff like that. But then in the winter time. Yeah. So you come want a woolly hat, not a. Well, yes, and if you're doing berets and woolly hats and things, of course, there is a market for that. But I wasn't going down that route. Um, I did trilbies and things. But again, it's for your bread and butter. You're trying to think, what am I going to do to fill, Mm -hmm. you know, to to, to turn as much of a a living out of it? So I thought, well, with the Christmas market, maybe jewellery and things like that would be more appropriate for the gift market, etc., so that's where the sort of sensible head came along and said, right, well, let's try and do something um, a bit different. And I never want to copy anyone else. It's kind of like my mantra in life, you know, so as what can I do that? What, what material can I use? Yes, there are laser cut jewellery labels to a penny now, but back then it was very new to me at least and I set about getting a laser cutter and starting this jewellery label. Goodness and how do you uh, where do you get your inspiration from I mean if you set aside the time in your already busy diary to for inspiration does it wake you up in the middle of the night do you see a shape uh, in a landscape do you look at something in a magazine or and you go I've got to do this I've got to do this now or what way does it work? I think you just have to be really um, educated in what's happening on a global level whenever you're chosen field is so in millinery specifically and then obviously with jewellery and stuff like that too like I I kind of study that stuff all the time I you know I'm but it's you're surrounded immersed it's it's so easy really it's it's not like back in the day when you had to go to a library and study it's social media it's magazines it's just the the web really um is such a resource for someone like myself to make sure you know what's happening in other countries what's what's happening like in Australia is like possibly the most inspiring country in terms of millinery in, in recent years for me. They really have it nailed over there. The style, the ladies' day, the fashions on the field, as they call it, it's just another level. And like, we really could learn a lesson or two by observing what they're up to a lot more. And what um, strikes me about everything that you do, Gronya, is the quality. You know, it, it, they are pieces of art, everything, whether it's the jewellery, or the headpieces and in the introduction we just talked about the different techniques the different materials that you use costly and you've got to get it right or I'm sure you don't want too much waste when you're using Swarovski uh, wire work or beautiful leather or lambskin how do you how do you work with your materials if you could only see (laughs) the state of my describe (laughs) describe your work really I have a good friend, Neve Michael Hatton, and she came in the other day and she literally had a panic attack because she's got severe OCD tidiness clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was like, Go on, you how can you live like this? You know, and I was like, Yes, but actually, like, I know where that purple feather is Do that you? I used four years ago. I know exactly what box it's in, I know where this is and that is, and it's organized chaos. Mm-hmm. 
but it's organised and it's the creative brain in me that I, if it was too tidy, my argument is, is that I'm not busy enough, <laughs> you know. Really? Okay, so you so need everything to be I everywhere. I kind of, yeah, it's just, it, it really actually doesn't, you know, it, it, it is the way it is because that's how I operate and I'm very resourceful. I think you have to reuse, recycle. Obviously, people are really looking more and more to that. So taking apart old hats, for example, reusing vintage straws. And if, when it comes to sourcing new things, I always do my homework on the companies that I'm supplying for. Like for years, I might have had to just randomly buy things off eBay or whatever like that. But I, I do that less and less and less now. I deal with reputable companies. I know where the stuff's come from. I know how it's, how it's been produced. And yes, I'm probably paying a little bit more for it. But that's the price you pay for knowing where things come from and the value. And how is the jewellery range, Pluck and Devour, how's it going? It's uh, really just always there. I, I do a little happy dance when I get a sale on the internet, you know. Um, I'm really in the thick of the millinery um, swell at You're the moment. Back, yes. So it's it's not that it's shelved entirely, but the designs are there and they're selling away. And I have a few stockists as well, so... Um, it's it, it will come back into its own again uh, towards the autumn. I'll revisit and get some more new designs out on the shelves and things. And what way does it work? Do you? I know you collaborate an, an awful lot with designers, clothing designers. I can think of Kevin John, yeah. whose range of dresses can be bought in Blush and many other places. But you've always been a collaborative person, haven't you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think um, that's where you learn and you grow. And if you're if you're like say my niche's hats, obviously, you really need a model to have something, you know, be dressed from the neck down and something equally wow. So that's where you collaborate with other designers and it just makes sense, you know. Um all the customer base and, and social media likes and all of that kind of thing. There's like an organic reach there when you collaborate and And it works for them too because they want their dress to look like it will do on race day or at exactly. the wedding. Exactly. It's a and symbiotic with, thing yeah. and you know an outfit looks so much more polished when you have a matching hat, for example. It's so interesting. Well, let's just think, do you do a lot of commissions for people? Would people come to you for very specific requirements? Yeah, I, I think that's probably my bread and butter. I mean, it's, it's the hardest part of the job. I mean, this is, um, you know, you're your uh, mother of the bride, mother of the groom, and they come a fabulous outfit. Again, as I say, from the neck down, including your shoes, bag, maybe jewellery, whatever. And they can't find a hat or headpiece that is the right colour or, you know, that's stylistically going to work. So they come to someone like myself or many of my other friends, like I say, there's quite a few of us now. And that's our skill set where we will then look at the person's, you know, hair colour, their skin colour, their shape of their face and things like that and just advise what's going to make them look the best version of themselves on the day. Mm. So it's made to order. They might come into my studio, see like several hundred hats there, but there's none that is exactly the one that they need. So kind of pick like a pick and mix. You take this bit off that hat, this other piece off that one and kind of co-design it really from the elements of designs that I already have out there. And then it's up to me to colour match and to coordinate and to dye feathers or do it, things like that. There's a lot of perfection around weddings and a big occasion like that. Um, is it nerve wracking getting it right? Uh, do you often have to tweak? How do you protect yourself that you're not wasting an awful lot of time on a particular one, but yet you so want that customer to be so happy with their headpiece? 
Well, yeah, it's all about the customer and it's about communication. So I would do, uh, you know, I, I would literally piece things together, pin it together and maybe have them come back and visit again. Or if it's not so easy, if they live further afield, we can FaceTime or send photographs and stuff. And it's an organic process. It's about getting feedback sometimes because... I can really clearly probably imagine straight away what it is I'm talking about and what I'm going to do, but it's about making sure that the customer is also on the same page with you on that one. So you don't, it's un, unlikely or unusual that they come in and say, I want that hat and I need it in blush pink. You know, it would be more of a personal service than that. Where and do they are. want ideas as well? Do they want to say, do, do something different for me? Or are people nervous? Or when it comes to headgear, I think, you know, you're either really flamboyant and brave or you like to play it safe. This is it. It's, it's, there's two extremes, I guess. One is the lady who is completely and utterly out of their comfort zone. It's their daughter or their son is getting married. They've never actually put something on their head. They just don't even know what side it's going to sit, what it's going to look like. Is it too big? Is it too small? Does it make me look fat? Does it make me look skinny? Does it this? All <laughs> make these me look like a telly tubby, Does it I make think. me look you older? Know, Does it make me look too young? Yeah. Is this something a young lady would wear? Oh, I, I don't know if I can wear that. So all of those kind of concerns. And this is where um, someone like myself who's uh, got a, a customer service, it's... Not that you're a counsellor, that's a bit of an extreme thing, but you have to be very good with people and you have to be able to read people. Like I would never push someone into trying to choose something that I know that they will look brilliant in, but if I can tell that they're not comfortable with it, well then we'll, we'll just keep talking, just keep you know chatting through it. And I think I've been doing it long enough now yeah. to know that I, you know, 9.9 times out of 10 I'm getting it right and then you do get the other ladies coming in and they are fashionistas <laughs> and they know exactly what they want and the only thing that makes me laugh sometimes is when they come in with a picture of a Philip Tracy hat that does cost uh, £1,500 and you know yeah well have you I got a grand and a half for that one no of course you haven't um, well that's it what are we talking price wise uh, yeah mm. well for me I think basically Smaller hats would start about 145. That's okay. And they could go up to just over 400 pounds for something that's um, really extra special. But what I about your lovely headpieces with the 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 Erin feather? Yes, uh-huh. That's 145. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's so it beautiful. is. Yeah, and so. you get it in all different colors and materials yeah, and so many different shades uh-huh. it's, it's so easy so easily worn and you can flatten it right down or you can really spike it up as and well, it's so, so distinctively it's yours isn't yeah it? it's That's, kind of you just know there's a growing matter it ain't going anywhere that is a no. timeless piece as far as I'm it concerned it totally is I absolutely love that um what do you think's been the most challenging thing about everything that you've done to date juggling um home life and business life is always an issue for a female entrepreneur um it's still the case to this day not to be all woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) centric about it but um you know when you have a family and all of that that's the the, the juggling part and knowing when to stop working because I like I do at at this time of year like I could be sitting in my because I have a home studio as well as a showroom in the city centre that I meet customers in so my my making room at home like I could be sitting there at midnight some nights and I have to catch myself on and go 
right, Grant, you're, you're going to make yourself ill if you don't go to bed now, you know, that way. So there's things like that, just looking after your own health. So you have to manage then the amount of work that you take on. If, if, if yeah. people want you, they want you. Yeah. Can you get anybody else to make for you? Yeah, and, well, I have one lovely girl, Neve, uh, who was a... She did a placement with her, me when she was doing her degree at University of Ulster. She then since comes and I pay her when I need her. So I have her back at the moment, thank goodness. She's worth her weight in gold. And she does some of the um, basic things that, that just help me get um, parts made, I guess. Um, but it's it, it's always me that finishes everything and, and the design and everything like that. It's all it's all me. So Well, you learn the hard way and you learn as you go, don't you? I think when you start your own business, you yeah. don't really know how to work. No. And, and then it, you have other obligations or responsibilities as well so it is about juggling all the time and you know do you put the customer first or do you put the kids first yeah it's it's learning how to say no sometimes if someone comes and they really haven't given you enough time like I I have in the past two or three weeks had to say no to people and it's frustrating number one Mm -hmm. because I just think well if you had come to me a month or two ago I would have helped you with a heart and a half um but there's just not enough hours in the day for certain things. So, uh, yeah, I, I, again, because I've been doing it quite a few years now, I, I do know what's possible. Mm. Um, well, if you burn yourself out, you're no good to anyone. Exactly. And you don't want to also hand over something that's not... Less than perfect. Yeah. Never. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there you go. I've talked many times in this podcast about the danger of perfectionism, but actually when you're producing something like that, well, that's what only perfect for. will do. Yeah, yeah, that's so tough. Um what do you think you've learned about yourself along the way? Oh, that's a profound question. There's a little bit of a curveball. Yeah. Just chuck that one in there. <laughs> um, what, do you, what do you think you're good at? I, I, I think I'm really good with people. You know, I certainly think that I have uh, an ability to read people. And um, by that, I'm, I mean in a very good, kind sense. You know, um, I don't, and I'm patient. Like, millinery is a slow craft, there's no rushing with this. This is something that mo- a lot of it's hand-stitched and whatever else. It's like you, you can't be in a hurry too much. So I am tenacious and patient and I'm good with people, I guess. And, you know, what do you feel about your ability or capabilities? Because sometimes I think when you're an entrepreneur and you're it, as we've kind of talked in the studio to a number of people, you're kind of everything about the business. And that can lead to a lot of fear of, oh, how do I stop? How do I take the breaks? How do I have a holiday? How do I have a life? Do you ever worry about that? Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I'm doing all the marketing side of it. I and mean, here I am on this fabulous podcast, yeah. the Granite uh, Exchange in Newry. You know, this is part of my job, part of my... That's why we've torn you there. away from the workshop today. Exactly. And it's fun, but it's also, um, you know... Dealing with your Instagram accounts, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, you know, answering WhatsApp messages, people are texting you, there's emails, there's lots of methods of uh, commu- or means of channels of communication, is what I'm trying to say, where people are contacting you and that's exhausting, but it's um, exhilarating and thrilling and it's great when people want to yeah. get something made by you. So it's a bit of both. It's, it's, uh, Managing your time and um, but being all things to all men in terms of the marketing of the business and as well as the making and branding and all of that stuff. 
yeah, you've got to do everything. But at certain times you realise there are other things here that I could get somebody to do, like Neve, and maybe yeah. she could help just with the, the, the basics. Maybe somebody could help more with the social media and the marketing. Are they all the methods you use constantly to promote your business? Do you feel that you're very much the face of your business too? Yes, I mean, <laughs> I've been on a few uh, Zooms with the British Hack Guild, which um, I... Uh, very proud to say I'm a member of um and I think one of the first meetings I turned up and I realized oh my goodness I'm on this zoom meeting and I I'm the only person not wearing a hat I know I literally forgot <laughs> I was expecting one on you today forgot to put my hat on it's like so I learned the lesson there and then Get that hat no on. naked heads when you're doing a British hat girl zoom but it's it's simple things like that that's just an example of yeah you're you're there so you have to be presentable and you have to always be ready to be photographed or you're out and about so the old red lippy comes in handy and you always have the red <laughs> lippy that's another statement isn't it it also helps when you have a few high profile clients they can do a lot of the hard work for you can't they and getting it out there go on do a bit of name dropping <laughs> you have <laughs> dressed a few heads and necks and various parts of bodies on on quite a few high profile people yeah i guess one of the biggest breaks was back when the mtv music Awards were in Belfast again. That's 2011. I know. That's where it was like that was amazing for so many year. people. And Selena Gomez was one of the hosts, if you remember. That's right. And she wore two, two different necklaces, neck pieces. One was a laser cut piece called "Bark at the Moon," and the other was like a real delicate, delicate and intricate chains cascading down her chest. Oh, kind of I thing. remember that one. That was beautiful. Yeah, that was mine also. That was yours. Yeah, so that was kind of like a really big break, and then. After that, when I got a PR in London and did some London Fashion Week shows, I got uh, Alexandra Burke and Rebecca Ferguson and a few other um, people who were um, on the on the up at the time. You know, you ch- it's obviously you're trying to get your work seen, and it's uh, it's fun, it's it's yeah. exciting, but and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work so well. And the Duchess of York, yes. Lovely Sarah Ferguson. I had the privilege of meeting her in person. Um, She's a mutual friend um, with my dear friend, Dr. Gabriela Merczyk, who is a wonderful Polish uh, lady who has a Harley Street practice in London, obviously. And she has met Sarah many times. Sarah is is a great um, friend of hers. And I've made hats for Gabriela. And Gabriela was like, Grania, I need you to get over here and meet Sarah Ferguson. (laughs) She would just love you, you know. And, okay. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, absolutely not a problem. So she uh, set up this wonderful um, meeting in her in her like aesthetics and skincare practice in, in Harley Street, where Sarah was getting some treatments done. Gabriella brought me over and treated me to a few laser treatments and things oh, as well. I was pampered very much that day, and of course we got the window of opportunity where I got to actually meet her in person. Um, there's a hilarious picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> in the in the treatment room when you know when Sarah's people brought her in and I was lying down on the bed and I had this like big bandage which you could only describe as Mr. Bump. <laughs> right. This is the piece you're going to be wearing. Yeah, and I was like, oh my goodness, of all the moments to bring her in, so the, I could all of the headgear to be wearing. Yeah, I've got this big bandage. It look, yeah, okay, well it it could be like a turban or something, yeah. you know, an urban turban. Um, but I got to meet her and we had a brief chat and. Obviously, she had been briefed about me being a hat maker and everything else. And she, she described to me that she wanted, she couldn't find a hat with an Elizabethan snood. 
And oh, I was like, I hate that. I know, I know, right? <laughs> First world problems. But <laughs> I was like, I thought to myself, well, I didn't say, I didn't like, you know, say, well, I'm going to make it for you there and then. But, you know, I was just very polite and making a um, uh, polite conversation. And then I agreed with Gabriella that I knew what she was talking about, which is kind of like a hairnet, you know, those kind yes. of old-fashioned clothes. Yeah. But it's thicker, it's like a crocheted kind of a thing that would have really, it was there to keep... I'm saying, yeah, and I'm Googling uh, well, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's like, if you know, you see like horse riders or riders would have yes. like their hair covered in a net. It's sort of a, a practical purpose mm-hmm. as well as a decorative purpose. Mm-hmm. Back from the sort of Elizabethan times. Lovely. Um, and so I set about creating a, a lovely hat in a beautiful shade of green for Sarah, obviously oh. with the red hair. And I sent it off to her and then I got a, an amazing um, handwritten letter from Sarah to thank me for it and stuff. So I haven't met her since, but... She that, loved that, it. Uh, yeah, she absolutely adored it. And was that good for business? It was fabulous because let's face it, mm-hmm. we all, you know, everybody loves the royals for better for worse with different stories when it comes else. to hats they do this they do it. good hats yeah yeah absolutely if, if uh, we all watch them um kate middleton and um you know megan markle uh th- they are fashion icons that's it and sarah and her day with the fergie bow remember the fergie the bow Fergie bow. oh gosh yes i remember <laughs> all the royal weddings and watching them all and yes all eyes were on the heads so Hopefully that's not the last royal that you Hopefully will be um, dressing. Absolutely. So what's next, do you think, for you? Um, I um, have like I've lots of aspirations. I would love to have my own shop again, I guess. And um, it's just I'm not... I'm not daft, if you get me, in the current cl- economic climate. No. I'm not going to rush Bricks into... Bricks and mortar at the minute is a big it. risk. Exactly. Uh-huh. You know, rent rates, business rates are are the real killer for me. Okay. It really, really was, okay. was quite a large chunk of things last time. Um, so, yeah, I would aspire to have my own boutique um, again. Although I'm very, very happy where I am in the shared space at Love Weddings because there's a lot of wedding businesses all under one roof and we bring business to each other. Collaboration again. Again, mm-hmm. so that's wonderful. And yeah, just um, with the British Hat Guild, there'll be a chance hopefully next year when physical shows resume to do some stuff at London Fashion Week with them. And yeah, just keep creating and new collections and continuing work with Kevin John and all of that. Yeah, I love the Kevin John creations too. Do you have any spare time at all? And if so, what do you like to do? I love food and drink. <laughs> and I love socialising with my girlfriend. On Instagram. Exactly. I mean, that's my unwind time. And uh, obviously with my family and my kids and everything as well. Just chilling out at home is precious. You've won a lot of awards over the years, Grania. Um, can you tell us about some of them? What are you most proud of? Um, I guess the proudest thing has really been uh, becoming a member of the British Hat Guild. So it's not it's not an award where you get a trophy kind of a thing. It is a very um, prestigious um, accolade to have. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, over the years, you know, I have top 40 under 40. That was a while ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in my on. 40s for quite a while now. Um <laughs> And I'm actually shortlisted for an award at the moment, which I'm looking forward to that the event in June. It's the Ulster Tatler um, Influential Women Awards. Oh. And I think it's for contribution to fashion. So that would be really nice. 
Um, but you know what? It's about being nominated in the first instance and being shortlisted. So I feel like a winner already. Absolutely. Who's your biggest inspiration, would you say? Who's the biggest role model for you? Without question, Philip Tracy. As an Irishman mm-hmm. who's made it big in mm-hmm. London and in just um, the, the absolute unrivaled master of millinery, in my view. Um, Have you met him? No. He's actually quite a private person. Uh, he is part of the guild. So I, I'm in this British Hat Guild. Philip Tracy, Stephen That's Jones is the chairman. Lots of wonderful female milliners. Uh, Rachel Trevor Morgan. Um, so he, he is just someone that I aspire to. I guess it's kind of the um, the young lad from Galway made, made good as well. I just love that sort of story. You would know? you love to meet him? I would love to meet him. And I will meet him, I've no doubt. But he is a very private person. So he... He, uh, and he's also very busy, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I'm looking forward to meeting him and to Stephen Jones, our chairman as well. And if anybody's listening today and they would like to get in touch, maybe they'd like to um, you to create a piece for them. What, what can they do? How could they purchase some of your beautiful designs and products or have something made? Well, I do have a website. You can buy directly from the site. It's gronyamaha.co.uk. Um, otherwise, follow me on the usual social media channels and get in touch by direct message because it's an appointment-only system that I run. You can't just sort of drop in like I would have done when I had a boutique. It's a studio space, so you really need to book in more so that you're not landing in when I'm already with someone else kind of thing, you know, or I'm not there all day, every day. So uh, appointment-only, give me a ring or private message on Facebook and if there was one hat or one head piece in the world that you wished you could have designed can you tell us what it was who wore it and where could we see this oh, there's so many but I mean like again to just keep coming back to Philip he as I said earlier uh, Isabella Blow was a serious muse of his and the thing with Isabella was she was a really complex individual she had a lot of mental mental health issues and tragically took her own life actually but she was one of his best friends and what she loved about Philip and his work was that he he gave her it was like the, the mask effect gave her this confidence like she she f- felt she turned from a moth into a butterfly when she wore one of his beautiful hats so mm. to answer your question there's this amazing hat of his. It's an iconic photograph of her. And it's basically like a round button, but it has these incredibly long, I imagine must be either turkey feathers or pheasant tail feathers that have been dyed jet black in this sort of like swirling motion. And it's just so simple yet so dramatic that it's it's just an iconic piece. And I, I would have loved to have made that. Oh. I would love to, I mean dream of being able to make such a thing. So the purpose, Scrania, of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as Grania Maher Millinery. What advice, last question, would you give to those who have a business idea but no idea where to begin or they're unsure as to whether it's a risk worth taking? Always contact your local enterprise agencies I got loads of help from them over the years and um, they will help you drop your business plan and everything else so that's like a proper sensible 
paper exercise to do. But nothing beats getting out on the street and, you know, metaphorically online or whatever and asking people what they think of what it is that you want to do. So you have to face up, you have to take it on the chin if you're getting negative feedback and then tweak your ideas, for example. But a lot of stuff in life is just to do with having self-belief. So if you're having any self-doubt, which is very, very normal, I had loads of it. In fact, I fell in and out of love with my business over the years, but I always come back to it. So remember that also, that you, it's not always going to feel like the best choice you've ever made. But sometimes when you stick with things and you work through the adversity or whatever else is maybe happening in your private life, for example, and affecting your business, this too shall pass, you know. So stick at it, work at finding out what is good for you. Think about your personality type and what you can bring to any given business and ask people what they think and, and, and take that feedback on board. Grania Maher, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Eye podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to uh, Grania and join me very, very shortly again for another episode of the Public Eye. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.